Let's jump right into the book of Titus, um, chapter 3. And I want to do a study on this chapter. Uh, it was something I just happened to come across in my reading this week and, and uh, uh, saw line after line so much glory of God in it. But I want to study it and bring it out. And it's a, it's a, you know, the book of Titus is a small book. And so to sort of capsulize what's going on as we, as we look at the last and third chapter there, Paul is writing a letter to a man named Titus. And uh, uh, Titus was actually a, uh, uh, a pastor sort of guy that Paul had appointed to establish churches uh, among the, the Cretes in the, in the islands there. And uh, he told them to establish those churches, appoint elders in them and all that. But he also told him to stand guard because of what was going on around there. And in fact, just to sort of encapsulize uh, a little bit what's going on, um, he tells uh, Titus in chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Hold fast the faithful word. As you've been taught that you may be able by sound doctrine both to exhort and to convict those who contradict. And then he, start, then, he, then he says, for there are many insubordinate, both idle talkers and their deceivers, especially those of the circumcision. So, that, so they were Jewish people, Jewish teachers. He said, they're insubordinate and they're idle talkers and they're deceivers. And he says, these are the ones that I want you to, to, to exhort and even convict those who contradict sound doctrine. So there again, I want us, I want us to see something as we, as we look at this this morning. Uh, I think a lot of times when we read the New Testament, when we hear about these deceivers, when we hear about these insubordinate people, when we hear about these uh, 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 people who uh, will not abide sound doctrine, will, um, uh, you know, we, we, a lot of us, we think of just like, just sinners. We just think of people that just don't, just don't want to live, live, live right. We think of them as people that just don't want to follow God. Um, you know, and, and what these were, were, were in all these cases, these were Jewish people that were, again, trying to follow God, believing that they knew the way to do this. And they were trying to, trying to help. They were trying, you know, they were, for instance, those who wanted to come in and add circumcision, they thought that it was better to do that. They weren't, they weren't doing it because they think they weren't saying, you know, this is a good way to get the devil in the church is bringing circumcision. They weren't thinking that they were thinking that, that we're going to add to that. We're going to make their salvation even more powerful and more sound and more secure, um, by bringing things like that in, bringing the law, you know, mixing the law in with it. And so this is who Paul deals with in book after book in the new Testament. These types of people were what he was uh, on guard uh, uh, against and what he was coming against all the time because the real battle here was not saint versus thief, prostitute, and, you know, ugly, hedonistic, selfish sinner. The big battle that was going on here that Paul was fighting here was a religious thing over do we do it by the keeping of, of, of laws? Do we do it with a debt towards God mentality or do we do this by the love and the grace and the fullness of God? And of course, Paul, if you, you know, if you ever, if you ever stopped to think about how amazing it was that Paul was so adamant about this and had such a, a conviction about this thing, 
knowing that he was one who tried harder than anybody, who lived it squeakier, cleaner than anybody else, and realized when he met Jesus that he was so far away from life, and he came into life, and, he, and, and, and as he came into life and came alive spiritually to God, he looks at the Old Testament, because that's all he had to study. That's all he had to go by. He didn't, he didn't get to study his own letters like we do. And he looks at the Old Testament, which is cryptic and has types and shadows and has all these stories and, and the law and the prophets speaking of Jesus, but where's he at in there? And he sees him clearly, and he's teaching and bringing all this out and saying, this is what all that means. And he was convinced of it. And, uh, and so he's establishing these churches in this, this truth of the new covenant with, of, of God. And he's, 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 there's always these religious works teachers coming in and subverting people. And so he's telling Titus, he says, so stand against those. He says, he says, he says because there are many of them, they're, they're insubordinate. They're not subject to the law of God, the way of God. They're still in that flesh thing. So they're idle talkers. Their mouths must be stopped. They subvert whole households and they teach things. They teach things that they ought not. So these were not just street sinners that just were, you know, didn't want to follow God. These were people that were teaching. He says they're teaching things that they should not for the sake of dishonest gain. And he says in verse 13 of, of chapter 1, I didn't mean to spend so much time in 1 because I want to study 3, but this lays the groundwork. Verse 13, he says, well, this, this testimony is true. He says, therefore, rebuke them sharply that they can be sound in faith. Not works, but faith. Not giving heed to Jewish fables and commandments of men who turn from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure. <clears throat> but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. <clears throat> He says, to those who are defiled and unbelieving, they're unbelieving. They're, that's, why, that's why they don't trust in the goodness and the grace of, the, of God with the new creation. They're still in the old stuff and nothing is pure to them. They're still into the purifications, the rituals, the, you know, the circumcision, all these things, the keeping of the law because they're not pure. <clears throat> in fact, you know, we sang that song, let's all go up to Zion. And, 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 and Linda brought out how, you know, we're not literally going up now. We have come to Mount Zion according to the, the New Testament. <clears throat> what, in the Old Testament, we had what we called songs or what they called songs of ascent or songs of degrees because they literally would sing those songs as, as they were going up the incline, up the hill toward Jerusalem for the, for the festivals three times a year. And they would sing from Psalms 120 to 134 are these what they called songs of degrees or, gra or gradual songs or songs of ascents or ascending because they were going up to Zion. And they would sing these songs and the songs would be the Lord will bless his people uh, in the city of our God. There is corn and oil. There's all these good things. And so they were all singing themselves happy and getting excited because they were going to be going up to Zion. Well, Paul brings us over to Jesus and he says, hey, he says, in Christ, you've come to Mount Zion. <laughs> you're not a on a pilgrimage. You're not there. You're not trying to get there. You're not gradually step by step coming into this, this high place of sonship. Jesus puts you there. We have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God. But when you don't see that or you're unbelieving, then you're still unpure and people are still unpure. And that's why we we have taught or preached in the, even in the body of Christ for so long as if you're not pure, as if you're not complete, as if you're not whole, as if you're not holy, 
and we used to preach in a way that, tried, that we tried to spur you on to getting holy, to be trying to keep working at becoming complete. And that was a debt preaching, a debt mentality. So anyway, he says, they profess to know God, but in works they deny him. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him. In other words, they're preaching good works, but they're, they're still not doing the good works. Being abominable, they're disobedient, and they're disqualified for every good work. So now we can go on to chapter 3. <laughs> and if we were to, to read chapter 2, we see a lot of lifestyle Exhortations. Be obedient. Uh, be, uh, be subject to rulers and authorities and so on and so on. And, um, you know, the leaders of the church should be this way. The women should be that way. The men should be this way. And he, and he tells, he gives pictures of godly living. And, but in chapter 3 is the key to the whole thing because we really see how this works even for us today. In this situation, we can see clarity of the power of God in the new covenant, in the simple revelation of his grace, his unconditional love, and his abundance of fullness that he has given in this great salvation. So verse 1 of chapter 3, Paul's telling Titus, remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, so we're talking, he talks a lot about good works here. That's doing, doing good, doing right, living right, right? Now, I mentioned this last week, but, you know, what I find, even with people that, that question what I, what I teach and, 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 and aren't sure, they're not convinced that that's really uh, the way to go with this, that maybe, you know, may, they still feel like we should have some debt preaching. There needs to be some kind of pressure so that Christians will will still want to live up to good works. There's needs to, we still need to hold that standard real high to put Christians, to give Christians that target that they're to live up to. Well, what we will all agree on, what we all agree on together is that we are to, to do good works. We, 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 we agree that we are to let our light shine, that men can see our good works and glorify our Father that's in heaven. We agree that we are to live exemplary, to be an example to the world, we are, to, we are to glorify God with our lifestyle. We are to live in honor and integrity and, and truthfulness and all that. And to show, and that shows the goodness and the glory and the power of what we're believing here. So we all agree in living good, <laughs> good examples in this world. But the difference is, is how do we, how do we, uh, how do we accomplish that? And so, so what many believe is that what we, the way we accomplish that is by a debt mentality, by giving them a debt to pay or, or a debt to live up to, a price to pay for that, something that your flesh can, can, can do. And what it does is it, is, is it spurs you on to just try to, try to do better, try to be stronger. See, we could, we could get up here and we could preach about how, you know, um, you know we really ought to be living better for God, people. We really ought to be loving more. We really ought to be giving more. We really ought to be, you know, spending more time on the, in the Word, spending more time in prayer. We need to be, we need to be out, uh, you know, we, sh- we should be out winning more souls. If, some, if you haven't, haven't won a soul to the Lord this week, then you ought to feel like you're on your way to hell. I heard preachers say that, you know. What are they doing? They're trying to help. They're trying to spur us on by giving us some kind of a debt 
to live up to, thinking that that pressure will produce a better lifestyle, a better Christian lifestyle. So then most of us, we hear that, and because they're telling us everything they're telling us that we should be doing, they are good biblical things. So we all agree on the good biblical things. But then we go out, and, we, and, we, and we're like the, the servant that tried, thought he could pay the debt that he couldn't pay. We go out saying, you know what? Boy, that really inspired me today. I'm just going to, I'm going to buckle down and try a little harder. That's what I'm going to do. If I know that if I just try harder, I can get this. I can, I can get her done. I can do this. I think, you know, I've been praying two hours a day, but you know what? I, I really see that I'm still not living up to this, so maybe if I pray 2.4 hours a day. Maybe if I pray three hours. <laughs> I've been down that road. You'll find out three's not enough and four's not enough. and Nothing is ever enough because debt, a debt, the, the debt is too much to pay. You just can't do what it takes. You can't do it. So Romans 8 says what we could not do because the flesh was too weak, God did. That's called good news. <laughs> and, it, and, it, and it blows the mind of the religious and the fleshly because, because it, makes, it, it makes you look like a freeloader. <laughs> We were talking about that yesterday where we saw that, uh, you know, saw a guy on a TV. He happened to be a Jewish guy talking with a Christian guy sitting, you know, face to face with each other. And they were talking about their religious things. And the Christian was talking about the grace through Jesus. And, and, and the Jewish guy just said, I simply cannot accept that. He said, if I believed what you just said, that would make me a freeloader. And I refused to be a freeloader. He wanted to pay the debt. Flesh wants it. Flesh wants credit. <laughs> Flesh wants to look good. <laughs> but getting back to this, he does say he is talking a lot in this book about these good works. And he says, <clears throat> he says, here's what I want. He's, he's, he's reminding him to do this. Verse two, speak evil of no one. Good word. Be peaceable. Be gentle. Show all humility to all men. Because, verse 3, because, we, watch this, we ourselves were also once foolish. We were disobedient. We were deceived. We served various lusts and pleasures. Anybody can relate to that? He says, we lived in malice and we lived in envy. We were hateful and we hated one another. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, now, now, now I want to stop just for a second here. <clears throat> Notice this. See, when we read this, I, I used to read this and I would think, see, see I wasn't, I wasn't a Pharisee of the Pharisees when I came to Jesus like Paul was. I was, a, I was just a, an ugly, selfish, lustful, hedonistic sinner <laughs> by all counts. <laughs> not, you know, not, not even churched at all, really. And so I just came from that whole sinful thing. Well, I used to read that and I would see myself in it. Yeah, I was, I was, I was, I was hateful. I was foolish. I was disobedient. I served lust and pleasure. And I was hateful and I hated others and... Yeah, I, I thought he's, he's talking about us. But then I realized when I'm looking at this this week, I thought, wait, Paul's talking about himself. He says, we ourselves. He wasn't some street thief out there that got saved. He wasn't some skid row alcoholic sucking on the bottle all day long and then met Jesus and, and, his, and his life got changed that way. This guy was a, was, was a church guy among church guys. <laughs> this guy was, was passionate about what he saw as the things of God, not the things of the world. 
And he says, but we were still that way. No matter what, he says, in the way that I was serving, when I was serving God, the way that I was serving him, he says, we all ourselves, me included, I was foolish, I was disobedient, I was deceived, I served lusts and pleasures. Huh? Keeping the feasts, keeping the Sabbaths, keeping the sacrifices, keeping the rules, keeping, keeping, trying to keep jot and tittle of the law, he said, I still served lusts. And pleasures. I was still disobedient. I was still foolish. I still lived with malice. I still lived with envy. I still broke the Ten Commandments. <laughs> I was still hateful and I hated others. He says, so remember, we were that way too. So he says, be, be gentle with people. Be peaceable. He said, don't speak evil of any of them. Show humility towards all of them because they're where you once were is what he's saying. And he says, but here's what happened to us. Verse 4, but when the kindness of God came, when the love of God came, that's what he was missing. In all of, in all of his debt mentality, he never could pay the debt because he was missing the power to pay the debt. Missing the one who paid the debt. But when, and how did, God, how, did, how did the kindness of God appear? How did the love of God appear? He died for our sins. He came as a man and took upon himself the debt, right? And he paid a debt. He didn't, he, you know, we read the story of the king who just zeroed out the debt and just forgave it. Well, God himself didn't just act like it wasn't there. He paid the debt, <laughs> He, t- he, took, he took the hit himself. You know, if, 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 if I owe you a million dollars and you cancel my debt, you know, it's not like there wasn't any loss there. You lost a million dollars is what happened. <laughs> you took the hit. You took the pain. And <clears throat> um, he says, But when the kindness and love of God, our Savior, toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us, watch this, through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. Of that word renewing, you look it up and it says this, renovation. Then you get the picture of the renovation of a house or a building. And what happens when you renovate? You come in and you just start changing everything from the inside. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. He says, so it wasn't by these works. It wasn't by doing these things. It wasn't by trying to pay the debt. He says, remember what happened. He says, when you, when the kindness and the love of God appeared, you received that. The Holy Spirit himself started doing the renovating. Huh? You started, you started liking things that you didn't used to like. You started hating things that you didn't used to hate. You started seeing things that you couldn't see before. You started understanding things. Paul did. <laughs> What happened? How did he get this? How did he start understanding this, this gospel when he had nothing but the Old Testament to go by? The Holy Spirit was doing a renovation inside of him. Something bigger than him started happening. Something powerful started happening and it changed his life. And the one who tried so hard to get this right, but still lived in lust and deception and disobedience and malice and envy and hate and couldn't overcome that, couldn't even keep the Ten Commandments, let alone all the rest of the law found a power of the renovation of the Holy Spirit that allowed him to keep the law by something that was bigger than his flesh attempts. He started loving. He started obeying. He started walking in the way that he had been trying to walk all this time. No wonder he's so adamant about that. He said, he keeps telling him, that did not work. If it would have worked, I would have been the one to get it to work. (laughs) 
He said, but I met somebody on the road to Damascus. Something on the inside happened to me. Somebody moved in. Somebody started working in me. Somebody started renovating. I, bec- I got a new nature, a new life. Something started changing and it, and it brought the power that I never could find for the change. Wow. His problem was himself. He kept getting in the way until he got, met Jesus on the way. <laughs> he says, he says, so he saved us through the washing of regeneration and the, and the renovation of the Holy Spirit, the one that he poured out on us abundantly. Say abundantly. abundantly. Now watch this. He, this word keep, will keep coming back. He poured out on us abundantly. The word abundantly means excessive. Not just enough, too much. Like Frankie said this morning, he's more than enough. He's not enough, he's more than enough. Everything about God was more than enough. Interesting, when he fed the multitudes, he didn't just have enough, did he? He never has had just enough. <laughs> he always had more than enough. He's that, that's one of his names. He is the God of more than enough. And he poured out this, this, he poured out this grace, uh, he poured out this, uh, this, this Holy Spirit abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. John chapter 3, he says, God gives the Spirit without measure. Oh, yeah. We used to think God gave us a little bit of Holy Ghost, then he's going to give us more later on. <laughs> Until I found out the Bible said that he doesn't give the spirit by measure. (laughs) When he gives it, he gives it. (laughs) And he pours it out abundantly. (laughs) You've got more than enough. (laughs) Hmm? The reason we didn't think we had more than enough is because some of the stuff that we were hearing and being taught and stuff that we thought that made sense to us, you know, we we put our mind on the things of the flesh. So we thought we got to keep working on this flesh. (laughs) Hmm? There's a, there's a renovation that's happening in the body of Christ out of a revival of truth, bringing the church to the simplicity of Christ to find the power to live this thing and be the creation, or excuse me, be the sons and manifestation that creation's been groaning for. Hmm? He said, he poured out the spirit abundantly through Jesus, our Savior, and having been justified by his grace, which means like justified never sinned, like justified never died, like justified had never done it, justified by his grace, by his grace, by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Look at verse, verse nine, uh, 8 here. He says, this is a faithful saying. In other words, he says, this is right, this is true. He said, this will always Always work in any, any situation. This is a faithful saying. Now, he's been talking the previous two chapters about people that were being unfaithful, saying things that they shouldn't, teaching things that aren't right. He said, this is right. <laughs> this is a faithful saying. And he watched this. He says, and these are the things I want you to affirm constantly. Now, he poured this out abundantly. So here's what I run into now. Well, Rick, you talk about, there's other things for you to talk. You keep talking about, all you talk about is the love of God, the grace of God, the fullness of God. What about this? What about that? What about the other? These are the things that I affirm constantly. (laughs) He said, these are the faithful ones. This is what's going to work for you. Watch this. He says, this is faithful. And these things I want you to affirm constantly so that those who believe in God would, can be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and they're profitable to men. In other words, these things are useful. These things will help. These things will do it. <laughs> these are good and profitable. But then, now look at him. He says, but, verse 9, but avoid these foolish disputes that these people were bringing in. 
Genealogies, contentions. Where are the genealogy? Well, it's Abraham, it's David, Moses, and all that stuff. We got a genealogy that goes beyond even Adam. <laughs> Avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, and strivings about the law. So he said, here's the faithful thing. The goodness and, and the kindness and love of God has appeared, and he poured this out abundantly through the Holy Spirit. You got way more than enough by the Holy Spirit, not in your flesh. But these people, they want to make it about flesh. They want to come in. They want to bring strivings about the law. Well, that unconditional love stuff is good, but come on. What about God said this and he said to do that? What about his holy standard? These strivings about the law. He says, avoid those things, he says, because they're unprofitable and useless. What did he say was useless and profitable? Grace. This faithful saying, he says, this abundance of grace that was poured out. He said, this, this is profitable. This free gift is what's, what, what it's about. He said, but these strivings about the law, those contentions of all that stuff that comes in, you know, we're, we're bringing a, simp a simplicity of the gospel through Jesus Christ. The power of salvation is all in that, that gospel. What is it? It's the good news. What's bad news? You got a debt to pay. You got a price to pay. I used to, used to have it in my, in my, my church back in, the, back in the early 90s. I, behind the pulpit, I had a big banner up there. It said, count the cost and pay the price. And I was trying to inspire people to live up to a standard. I was trying to inspire people to do, do more work in their flesh, to try harder. And they were all zealous for good works. And they tried. And they tried and they tried. And when they fell on their face trying, they came up here and they cried and they begged forgiveness. <laughs> and promised God they'll try even harder. When trying even harder is what got them down here in the first place. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> They're just going to go deeper in debt. It's unprofitable. It's useless. It promises to work. But Paul exposes it. He says it's unprofitable. It's useless. I followed a way that promised to work. Look what it got me. Now I found a profitable and useful way. The things that I wanted to live. He said I wanted to live godly. I wanted to be a good example. I wanted to please God. This free gift that was poured out abundantly. It's more than enough. This is where I found it. I know it's simple, he says, but let's keep it simple, stupid. Gave him a good kiss, didn't he? He says, reject a divisive man. Your Bible might say heretic. It means a schismatic or somebody who's, who's bringing division. Bring, uh, uh, reject a, a divisive man. Who's he talking about? The same people he's talking about. Those, those of the circumcision bringing Jewish fables and commandments of men. He says, he says, reject the divisive man after the first and second admonition, knowing, because we understand what's going on, he says. We know something. We know that person is warped. Your Bible might say perverted, perverse. He's warped. He's, he's sinning. He's sinning. He's sinning. That's why he's, that's why he's preaching try harder, because he thinks if he tries harder, he can overcome that. Hmm? And he's self-condemned. This is, he said, this is why he's so, he's so adamant about these Jewish fables and commandments of men and law keeping and all this stuff. He said, because he's self-condemned. That's why he's still demanding a debt, because he thinks that we need to pay this thing. You see this? This is why, you know, I've, I've said this before, but whenever I hear somebody that's a real sin preacher, that's preaching about sin, I know, I know this. I know what's going on. They're warped. They're not seeing it clear. The guy's sinning himself, I guarantee you. And he's not trying to be hypocritical. He's trying to fight his own sin. 
He's trying to stir up his flesh enough and spur on his flesh to get it, to get it motivated to overcome this thing. And because he feels like that's what he needs to do, he feels like that's what you need to do. So he brings in these strivings about what we're supposed to do. The standard we're trying to live up to and putting that before you to try to go for when you can't do it. But he's doing it simply because he's sinning himself. He hasn't found the power himself. And he's still preaching this old thing that promises power but never delivers it. And he's condemned his own self. And when somebody is living under condemnation, they only have that condemnation to give. He said, but to the pure, all things are pure. But to the one that's impure, self-condemned, ain't nothing pure. You ain't doing right. You ain't doing right. You need to do better. God's not pleased with you. God's disappointed in you. Oh, you're still struggling with that. That's wrong. When are you going to get this right? Come on. Pray, pray more. Make more vows to God. You'll get there. Hmm? Are y'all seeing this? This. He says, so, that, so, so I mean, this is, this is how this works. See, it, religion has a show of something. <laughs> And it's so, and, and here's why it's so deceptive, because it wants the same thing that Paul, who's preaching grace, has wanted. And, is still, and Paul is telling them, live right, do good works, be a good example, be subject to authorities, be this, be that. Be, he's telling them to, that these are the things we are supposed to live this way. But the difference is you'll never be able to live up to that standard and you'll never be the example you want to be. And you'll keep falling short and you'll keep sinning and you'll keep being self-condemned and you'll always fall short. And this is why Christians always feel like they're not there yet. They're still trying. I need to work harder. I need to get this. I need to renew my own mind. I need to make myself see it. I need to make myself manifest these things. How do I do it, Rick? How do I get this? How do I, I hear it all? How do I renew my mind? How do I make it manifest? How do I become this? How do I make it real in my life? You don't. You're being renovated. If you put your attention on what God is doing in your life, <laughs> put your attention on the abundance of grace, the more than enough grace that was given to you to take care of this. That's why he took care of the sin thing to give you room to mess up while you're being renovated. <laughs> but when you don't give yourself room, you're self-condemned. This is why you don't give somebody else room. Well, they're just not doing right. Oh, they owe a debt. You must think you owe a debt. Well, they ought to do this. Oh, really? Well, God knows we all ought to have done something. Hmm? But what we couldn't, when we couldn't do what we ought to have done, because our flesh was weak, God did for us. And he poured out abundance of grace. These things are good and profitable. I want to finish up in the book of Romans chapter 5. So we can go there. So remember last week we read about Peter who came to Jesus and says so how far do we go with this? I know you talk about love and mercy and forgiveness but how far does this how far is really logical how far is really responsible i mean how often how how much should i forgive somebody how 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 often do i let this go seven times 
Jesus says, how about seven times 70, 490 times? Boom. I mean, that's, seven was more than Peter could, could imagine. Now Jesus raises the bar. How is this possible? Well, at the end, he says, only from the heart. Only those who know that they have no debt can forgive all debts. Isn't that part of the Lord's Prayer? <laughs> huh? Forgive us our debts as we forgive those, our debtors, our trespassers. And somehow we got it that we have to, that we, that we do the forgiving first and then God forgives us. No, no, he forgives as we, and we forgive. <laughs> we get the forgiveness from him. We get the purity first from him. And then we have to give purity. Are you here? See, I see the truth in all this. I'm not in denial. I know that people sin. I know people do ugly things. Some of y'all might be doing some ugly things. But what I also see is I see holiness. I see Jesus. I see perfection. I see abundance of grace poured out in your life. And it looks like it's a whole lot bigger than your little old flesh problem. Amen. <laughs> Paul, oh my goodness, I love this. There's a study in here I don't have time to get into because I spent so much time on Titus. <clears throat> but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it real quick anyway. I know we're going to watch the Cowboys, but, 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 but give me this. Um, You know how Paul says there in Romans 5, verse 12, he says, Therefore, just as, though, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death came by sin, right? Death came by sin, right? We know Adam sinned, and that death came by, by that sin, right? Death came, death came, death came by sin. He says, and death came by sin. And thus death, death spread to all men because all sinned. And it's, it was a spiritual death because we turned from God to flesh. And it resulted and manifested even in physical death, didn't it? And every other thing that that entails. He says, death spread to all men because all sinned through that one man's sin. He says, look at verse 13. For until the law, sin was in the world, because Adam did sin, right? People did sin. Sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed, imputed where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses. I didn't, I, I didn't get a clear, clear thing on this until just last week or two. Because I, I always wondered why. Why did he say that death reigned from Adam to Moses? Death reigned from Adam all the way up to Jesus. <laughs> it didn't stop at Moses. No, it continued. But what, but, what, but what he's saying was, he says, when Adam sinned, before there was a law, death was reigning. He said, but sin wasn't imputed to man. Sin's not imputed where there's no law. But when the law came, became the accounting of sin. That sin might be made exceedingly sinful. Would be magnified. In other words, are you seeing this? For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin's not imputed where there's no law. So it wasn't about an account of sin or death. All it was was the effect of sin brought death. And it wasn't as a debt owed. The law made it a debt owed for, for, uh, for, our, for our sin. But before there was a law, sin was not imputed, he said. But even though sin was not imputed, it was not an accounting of sin. There was not a debt of sin before that. It was just a result of sin, death. But even though 
there was no law and no imputation of sin, death still reigned anyway from Adam to Moses when he gave the law. Am I making sense to you? So the big thing he's talking about here is not just the debt of sin or just taking care, not just being cleared of sin, because many people think that that's all that grace is. All it does is cover and clear the sin part. And that's all it does. So Rick, talk about all these other things. Well, I'm going to show you why, it, why, why it's everything because it's the grace of God that took care of the death part. Not just the record of sin. He said there wasn't a record of sin before the law. There was just the result of sin. And that result of sin, even though there wasn't a record of sin by the law, he said there was still the effect of the reality of sin that was going on. Am I, am I, am I, am I, are you... Are you hearing this? So he says, nevertheless, death reigned. Now, look at verse 15. But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, one man, many died. That's pretty effective, right? <laughs> pretty effective. One man can sin, and it made death spread to everybody. That's a pretty effective sin there. <laughs> by one man's offense many died, much more, say much more. That's that word abundance again. Much more, the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many, was excessive more than enough. In fact, you look up that word in a concordance. The word abundance means super excessive. Hyper excessive. Way more. You could not quantify. <laughs> when he's talking about this super excessive. The grace abounded to many. So look how abundant that one man's sin was. Look how it spread to so many. But he said, even though one, one sin polluted all of mankind, the grace of God not only took care of enough of one sin that was enough to pollute mankind, it took care of the multiplication of it, of everybody's sins that could just keep polluting everything. He said, it abounded. Uh, to many, verse twelve, uh, seventeen. For if by one man's offense, death reigned by that offense, death reigned, death reigned, death reigned through the one, much more. Say much more, much more. Those who receive abundance of grace, say abundance, excessive of grace. Here's what I hear: people say, "I believe in the grace of God, but but you're preaching this. You're preaching a hyper grace. You're preaching too much grace." He says Jesus gave too much grace. He gave excessive grace. In fact, that, 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 uh, that word abundance of grace is a word um, uh, hooper paratio. Paratio meaning excessive. Hooper meaning super or hyper. We, we pronounce it hyper these days. Hyper excessive, super excessive. Excessive is already too much. <laughs> Hmm? We were talking about this in a Bible study one time. One of the ladies said, I don't like that word excessive because I don't believe that God, God is excessive. God, God gives just enough. We're like, oh, we're going to have us a good study tonight. <laughs> he never gives just enough. <laughs> the sin was enough to kill all man. But what God gave, and, his, and he's talking about the free gift. It was super excessive. It was abundance. It was more than enough to take care of all this. Are y'all hearing me? It's more than enough to empower you. Huh? It's more than enough to make you holy. It's excessive. Huh? He didn't give you just enough to just barely get you there. 
to where like if you mess up, you might decrease it a little bit because, well, you had, had just, enough, just enough grace to get there, but you blew it, so now you might not have enough grace. <laughs> Super excessive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness, the free gift, will reign in life through one, Jesus Christ. Not through you, not through your works, not through the law, not through anything else. There's only one that, that causes you to reign in this life, to live this life, to, 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 to walk in the heaven on earth, to where you have the love, the joy, the peace, the power, the perseverance, the self-control, all those things that cause you to reign in this ugly old world here comes through the grace of this one, Jesus Christ. Going down to verse 20. Now watch this. So, and now look what he's dealing with here. He's talking about the effect of sin. He says, even though death reigned, you'll reign in life because of this. In other words, he's talking about not just the clarity, not just the clearing of the record of sin. He goes beyond that to the effect of sin, which was death itself. He says, this thing covers the death. This thing overpowers the, the, the effect of that death. What was the death? Well, it starts with a, with a mental separation from God where we turn from God and turn to ourselves, turn to flesh. What does this grace do? It really reunites us in ourselves. Hmm? So that we're not dead in spirit anymore. And, and just as something on the inside, the death that they, that they received on the inside manifested on the outside, so something on the inside through the renovation of the Holy Spirit and abundance of life by one Jesus Christ is manifesting, he's manifesting something on the outside. How does it become effective? People, when people are saying, how do I manifest it? How do I get this? How do I make it real? And all that. You don't. How, what they're really saying is, how does this thing really become effective in me? Philemon verse 6, your faith becomes effective by acknowledging every good thing that's in you. I've got life inside of me. I've got the greater one inside of me. I've got God himself inside of me, and it's his righteousness, his holiness, his perfection that I'm living has nothing to do with this flesh or, or this man's works. It has everything to do with one man's work. Are y'all hearing this? I know it's simple, but these are the things that we are to affirm constantly. When we don't affirm these things constantly, we get weird. We start digging in here and we start finding out these spaceman doctrines, you know. Because we want something more far out, want something deeper. People are trying to live forever when he says, listen, if he says, I want you to prosper and be in health as your soul prospers. Get this, you'll have soul prosperity. <laughs> You'll have fullness of God, fullness of joy. He says, you know the breadth and the depth of the love of, of, of God, then you can walk in the fullness of Christ. That's all it is. It's that simple. He says, moreover, moreover, not only did it take care of the death, verse 20, but moreover, even beyond that, the law entered after death was already reigning. Then the law came along in Moses' day. The law entered so that the offense might abound. It came to magnify sin, to reveal sin, didn't it? But where sin abounded, even in the law, grace abounded much more. Where there was enough law to kill you, to, uh, excuse me, to, to count you guilty, grace abounded super excessive. You're walking in a super excessive amount of love today. You're, you're being loved way more than you would, could, not only could, than you would ever deserve in your flesh, more than you could ever comprehend. There is so much love being poured out on you. There is so much grace that has been given to you. There is so much holiness that's been accounted to you. 
It is super excessive. And you tell me, well, the love of God is good, but that's not enough. It's super excessive. Well, grace is one thing. It's good, but it's not, it's not enough to talk about grace. It's super excessive. Because all grace is, 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 is a word that capsulizes the love that was shown to us by him dying on that cross and taking care of the sin and death. Notice that. It's always talked about that. Not just the accounting of sin. See, that's why people think, well, just grace, grace. People think, well, I'll just live any way I want to because, because my sin's accounted for. No, if you really know this, it's not just, it doesn't just take care of your accounting of sin. It doesn't just take care of the, of the slate being clean. It takes care of the life and death part. Huh? And I tell people, if you're, if you're wanting to live forever someday, then live today in this. You'll reign in this life by Jesus Christ. Don't, experience, don't, don't, don't think that you're here to experience defeat uh, every day, but someday you're going to come alive. In Christ we're alive. For sin abounded, grace abounded much more, so that as sin reigned in death, even so grace, somebody say grace, would reign through righteousness unto eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Would you all stand up?